human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Welcome to a special edition of What's Betwixt Us. Today's episode was recorded live as part of the IEEE's International ISTAS Conference, the first of its kind, bringing together pioneering voices to have dialogue and share ideas on public interest technology. In this hour, I chat with the one and only Jumana Abu Ghazala, Zaini's founder and CEO, as well as the founder of Pivot for Humanity, and Shana Stigler, one of the masterminds who helped bring Zaini to life. We talk about the transformation of workplace culture to be more empathetic, the importance of feeling seen and heard in order to foster trust and innovation, and what it means to feel safe. Please enjoy episode 20, Empathy Live, from the IEEE ISTIS Conference. Hello, I'm Lissa Mandel. Uh, I am here as a representative of Zany, which is an app for Slack designed to bring authentic human connection and empathy into remote workplaces. And I am happy to be here. I'm so happy to Katina for inviting me here. And I'm about to have a conversation with the founder and CEO of Zany, Jumana Abu Ghazala, and uh, another of the, the founders and builders of Zany, Shana Stigler. And we're just going to have a, a chat about empathy in the workplace, why it's so important for workplace culture, and what Zany is all about. So hello to my friends, Jumana hello. and Shana. Hello. Uh, I would love to start, Jumana, with uh, a brief, in your words, a brief rundown of what Zany is and where the seed for the creation of Zany came from. Yeah. So Zany is a way for us to remember, for people to remember in this world of devices and screens that there are human beings beyond the devices and the screens. So it's about allowing people to hold on to their humanity and to access each other's humanity. And, you know, I think, I think it'll, the origin story will help a little bit, but I, I worked freelance a lot in earlier years. And so much of that work helped me realize that when you're not sharing space with someone, when you're not sharing context with someone, it takes a lot more work to build trust and empathy and relationships. Yes, I agree with all of this. What, because I like to get personal and yes. because this is about getting personal and maybe seeing the messiness of who we are as humans, not just what, you know, sounds like it makes sense. Why personally for you, Jumana, is it so important that we remember each other's humanity at work, especially when we're co-located and can't be with each other in person? It's important, I think, because it's how we exist on this planet. It's like it should be like air. I don't know that I don't know that I have a really rational way of explaining why it's important to me that. I know that there's another human being. I don't think I am my best when I'm dealing with a, a robot or a technology. Mm -hmm. I think when I understand someone, it makes me work harder for them with them because of them. Mm -hmm. When I when I can relate to them or when they expand my world, 
I think our job on this planet, aside from protecting it and keeping it safe, our job is to access each other. And I think that if we, if we do that, if we, if we give each other space, we give ourselves space to, to grow and to change and to evolve. And I think that too much in the workplace, even as it was structured before, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Zany is definitely focused on remote work. But the truth is, for so long, we've structured work as a place where human feelings and human messiness and personal life doesn't exist. And so we've created mm-hmm. this artificial divide between your personal persona and your work persona. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and those, the twain, you know, are not meant to meet. And so I think that it's been years in the making, this sort of bifurcating of the personal and the professional in a way that is fundamentally inconsistent with what it means to be a human, mm-hmm. what it means to be alive, because you don't actually check your your problems at the door when you go into work or your joy mm-hmm. or your sadness or your thought process or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really important about saying people who allow each other to be who they are and to show up as themselves really can do magnificent things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only when you, when you allow each other to, to make mistakes and to feel safe and to take risks and be curious. Fundamentally, I think that the, what Zany's trying to do is to, is to inject curiosity into mm-hmm. teams and curiosity mm-hmm. for people about each other. What makes you you and what makes you good at your job? And you and I are, Lisa, are different. Shana and I, the three of us here, are different from each other. And I think what Zany does is help us understand how we're similar and how we're different and um, why that's good um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Why, that's imp- why those are important things to know. Yeah. And in fact, and, and I'm going to have you jump in in a moment, Shana, here too, but I just want to respond to this idea of, you know, the artificial divide between our work personas and our home personas, what the, what the pandemic has actually done is mm-hmm. sort of blur that divide, erase that divide, where you're in a Zoom meeting, if your camera's on, other people, your your work people are in your home with you. And then that could actually be pretty revolutionary in terms of bringing our humanity into work, whether we want to or not. And so I think that Zany does help provide sort of a safe structure in which to do that, a safe structure in which to blend our home self with our work self. But I, I want to give Shana a moment to respond. So Shana, I know through improvising, I am a comedian, actor, improviser. Shana was my way in to Jumana and to Zany. And so she has this improv background as well. And mm-hmm. I would like to know, Shana, what you have to say about why you jumped on board at the ground floor of Zany, why it was important to you. Ooh, good question. I, my, my initial response to that question is trust. It was funny to eventually be building a tool that helps teams build trust. And the way that I came on board was through trust, specifically trusting Jumana. We had a personal relationship and we had worked together before. And she is one of the people that when she says I'm building a thing, I can't really tell you much about it, but it's going to be great. You say, (laughs) fuck yeah, I'm with you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, you know, I will speak to something that you brought up when, Jemani, you were talking about zany and empathy at work and this hardline division we create. 
the other night we were watching a movie, highly recommend, called Fantastic Fungi. So good. <laughs> about mycelium and mycelium as mushrooms. And, and it really made me think about, you know, the time that I was working with Jamana, we were helping to build Thingy together and the conversations that were happening at some of the meetings that I was having was about starting to look at your organization as an organism, which means it is fully dynamic, mm-hmm. made up of individual parts that each have their own part to play. You remove one person and the, the total dynamic of the group changes. You add a person and it totally changes. And I was just thinking of the web that mycelium create underneath the earth, but you know, it's made up of these individuals who are working together, collaborating together, and invested in the best interest of, of the or, you know, organism next to them. And that has always been what has been so fascinating to me about this space is, you know, starting to define work not as this place that we go, but defining work as this place where we are also doing some of our living. Mm-hmm. And when we can work within an environment where each person is truly invested in the best interests of, you know, the rest of the team. I mean, magic things really can happen. And it's always so fascinating to me when, you know, people start to think about an organization as a true organism made up of these individual parts. It's funny. Now I am, my family owns a restaurant and I'm helping my mother with her restaurant and working with a very young crew, a kitchen crew. And it's interesting seeing these dynamics play out in that type of structure, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, it's easy to talk about, you know, work-life balance as it relates to those of us who work on computers, right? Our work looks a certain way, you know, these divisions between work-life and home life get very blurred, but it's been interesting coming in with this context into a more traditional work structure, like a kitchen, Mm -hmm. And really seeing that idea brought to life of, oh, we can only function as a unit if each of us is really invested in each other. Mm -hmm. And the more we know each other and the more invested we are in the person that each of us are, the better we are at our jobs, the harder we show up for each other. And it's such a simple thing, but it's so true. It's like, when I care about Lissa, if I give a shit about you, I'm going to work harder for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work harder for you because I care for you. Because mm-hmm. I want you, I want us both to succeed in our jobs. And I want the thing that we're working on to succeed. And I don't know. It's ex- We've reached a place now and it's very exciting to have bigger corporations start to talk about this stuff and to start to realize, oh, the health of my team is really in how much they trust each other. How can I devote my resources to making sure that these people get along that they under, they begin to understand each other. Yeah. And the resources, the resources then like the, the pay comes back tenfold. You know yes. what I mean? Like if this is about, you know, corporations and like, how do we bring the discussion of these so-called soft skills into places where soft skills are not, you know, organically present really or in the structure of, of that organization. I just read an article the other day that if you, insult your employees, you are losing money. You are putting money on the table if your employees aren't feeling good about themselves because they're going to spend the next hour, you know, thinking of, rather than thinking about the project that they're working on, they're going to be thinking about, you know, how they're feeling hurt, how they're feeling angry. And the point is that like the fuel of empathy begets more fuel. Yes. And it makes no sense to just as with, you know, the roots of a tree, if you starve 
the roots of one tree, you're starving the roots of all the trees around it because the roots are interwoven and the trees help feed each other underground. There's a lot of like thinking and talk and a lot of legitimate perspectives about how technology has actually reduced space between people and created connections that didn't exist and created communities that wouldn't have been there otherwise. But I think whether it's sort of in the online space or offline space, so long as we're focusing on productivity and efficiency, and we think of empathy as something that is antithetical to that, Mm -hmm. that's, it's a, things break down because mm-hmm. yeah. if you're, if you're thinking about productivity in, you know, if we're looking at the Amazon workers, right, it's how many things you can get out there. How, you know, it's a, there are clear identifiers of what success means, key performance mm-hmm. indicators. And none of those include how people are feeling right. or how much the, the team trusts each other. Which is or, ironic because at the end of the day, Amazon loses more money by having a higher turnover rate because so many people are unhappy right. or, you know, experiencing lawsuits because right. of their worker condition. And I think that that's what Zany sort of is, is about, is this idea that we, that empathy is, is actually really nutritious for productivity. Yes. Like it actually feeds productivity because it makes people feel alive and heard and seen and welcome Mm -hmm. and it creates dialogue about in ways i mean the whole point of zany is to is to help people have conversations that they wouldn't have otherwise and one of the ways we talk about conversation is some people like the two of you shana and lissa are natural you know sort of people people Mm -hmm. who some people aren't and for them like having conversation is like is like staring at a blank page it's it's a challenging it's a Mm -hmm. stress inducer Mm -hmm. and then you add sort of technology and we're not used to think we were used to thinking technology as something to use to get something done Mm -hmm. you know so it's a get to the point thing Mm -hmm. and so the the idea that like conversation between people whether it happens in the hallway or in passing or you know like the little bits where some where people connect Mm -hmm. if we focus on putting that back, how much more satisfied and how much more productive would we be right. in our... And I think we didn't, we haven't realized to the full extent that, you know, we've gone from the blank page of conversation to the blinking cursor, right? And me being able to walk into a room and start a conversation with a coworker when we are sharing physical space is very, very different than trying to initiate a conversation in a group thread on Slack. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different space. And that's what I find really interesting. And, you know, a tool like Zany is incredibly helpful for that because we don't think about the people who are shy when it comes to those digital spaces who do not know how to enter that room. And walking into a room full of people is a terrifying thing for some people. Walking into a chat room of threats within threats of with of threads with gifts and memes and jokes and like can be incredibly alienating for some. And it's funny, we used to, you know, several years ago when we were first starting to work on this, the stat that I carried around was, you know, the workforce will be 50% remote by 2020. (laughs) Hilarious, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, at that point, there was still this pushback from a lot of organizations who were like, you know, I don't know if we're going to go fully digital. We still have these spaces that we share. But in the digital work environment that we live in now because of COVID, there is even more of a reason to be engaging in these types of 
you know, water cooler chats, these like little micro moments of interaction, because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what's going to build the bonds that allow people to do brilliant work together. I mean, even, even right now, um, even right now, so the three of us are actually sharing space and we're COVID safe and being mm-hmm. responsible and everything. But the other stat we used to carry is that 96% of communication is nonverbal, right? right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it, your tone of voice. It's the look in your eye. It's your posture. It's a whole bunch of things that when you, when computers enter, you know, you lose a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You lose a ton of that. So when Shanna was talking and making eye contact with us just now and like using her hands, you know when you have a moment to jump in or not jump in. Mm-hmm. When, when you're on Slack and people are just like typing, it's really hard to know, is this my opening or should I go here? Did I just miss the point? Right. And someone types over you and your point gets lost. Especially There's if you're no... new or if you are the one person in the office who works half at home, half in the office. Like that's a very difficult space to, tr- to try and navigate. And that's the big aha in all of this is those moments, those interactions are really the things that determine the success of a team. Not, you know, these KPIs, not these metrics that are defined by, you know, quantified, you know, yeah, quantifiable mm-hmm. results. Like mm-hmm. it's really those spaces that you would bump into each other and have that moment of, oh, that's right. You know, Lissa left to wear crystals. Like, of course, <laughs> you've had that connection before. <laughs> That, you know, could become the inspiration for something later on down the road. And I also want to amplify, because you brought this up before, and I think we forget about this, the the importance that trust plays in innovation. Yeah. You know, if we're sitting around a room together meant to be coming up with, you know, fresh new ideas around a particular project, if I don't feel safe around Nobody wants to feel stupid or ridiculed or... I don't want to, if I, for a bad idea. Exactly. And if I don't feel safe around these folks, I'm not going to throw out that thing that could be totally brilliant and absolutely what we should be doing that I'm scared of because it's outlandish. Right. 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 And it could be as simple as, I mean, the kinds of conversations that Danny starts are, you know, the interstitial moments, maybe things that you don't think are very important. You know, what, what would be your, your favorite last meal on earth? And if you know that about somebody, if you have shared that about yourself, to a team of people and they know that totally non-work related soft underbelly something inside of you that speaks to your essence you're going to be more comfortable sharing other things yeah. bigger things so well, vulnerability begets vulnerability begets exactly. vulnerability when we model vulnerability for each other we allow each other to feel safer being more vulnerable and that's really the magic space where the good good work starts to happen right right that's the juiciness there's also you know there's a there's a tendency to think of, as I was listening to you both, and you're talking about soft spil- skills and soft underbelly, and a lot of times the soft is used disparagingly. Yes. Right? So, and I just feel like we should just stop saying soft skills and call them strong skills. Mm. Like you can have hard skills, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're hard. Like, mm-hmm. they have hard edges. Right. The counterpart to that shouldn't, like... Soft shouldn't necessarily be bad, but it's so loaded a term now. You know, it's interesting that I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so, you know, I watched, you know, Jumana also is the founder of Pivot for Humanity. And she presented earlier in this conference, this amazing presentation uh, talking about the meat space, which is, of course, you know, the real like tangible tactile world that we're in versus cyberspace. And 
you were talking about the the astronaut, uh, the, the the engineer who created the software, Margaret, Margaret, Margaret Hamilton, Hamilton, and how she was a software engineer, and that even the phrase software engineer was sort of giggled about at the time, unlike hardware, you know, mm-hmm. hardware engineer. And I think it's so interesting. I didn't even think about that um, stigma. Well, yeah, I mean, hardware, because hardware, and that whole story is fascinating for a number of reasons, but you know, hardware is the stuff that you can see. Mm-hmm. Like it's the stuff that you build. You can tell somebody spent time on it mm-hmm. because it's, you can see how it looks. You can't see the work somebody's done themselves necessarily. Mm-hmm. But does that make it less? Soft, soft same for hard skills and soft skills. That's what I, I mean. So. I can read your hard, hard skills on LinkedIn. Exactly. Read your resume. Exactly. But seeing that, you know. I also, so the reason I also brought it up is because I think that some of that makes it seem like, and Lisa, you've talked about this on your podcast quite a bit, but this idea that empathy or soft skills are gendered, the mm-hmm. idea that, mm-hmm. oh, it's a feminine characteristic. I think one of the things we're trying to do with Zany, um, and I think that works, is to say conversation isn't gendered. Mm-hmm. Like talking to somebody isn't gendered. Mm-hmm. It's the stigma around you know, showing your soft underbelly mm-hmm. is gendered. And I think that if we say it, if we start talking about strong skills, like how strong are your communication skills or how Mm -hmm. strong are your Mm -hmm. vulnerability skills or Mm -hmm. how strong are your trust skills, Mm -hmm. they would be different because from experience actually using Zany with male team members, Mm -hmm. like the kinds of dialogues that dialogue you can have and the the reactions that you get from people who normally wouldn't have these conversations is really heartening. Mm -hmm. People feel like they are people. It's surprising too. And I would say, so, you know, I have a background in, in interviewing, you know, on another kind of podcast where we would talk about childhood. And the idea was I had comedians on to talk about vulnerable aspects of their childhood and sort of reveal things that they had made back then that they had some shame or embarrassment around. But I noticed that the most transformative moments that occurred on the show were when people who are never vulnerable were vulnerable. And so in that way, you know, People on Zany who wouldn't normally share of themselves in that way, even in the small pinpoints when they do, it's so significant mm-hmm. to changing the whole dynamic, to changing the whole energy of the group Yeah, when, when people who don't share, share. And I want to go back to this point also, and this was not where I thought we would go with this, but here we are, <laughs> um, of soft versus hard and of feminine versus masculine. And when I say these, I don't mean like, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a woman and you're a man. I mean... There is inherent um, in all of us, feminine and masculine yeah. qualities in all of us. And that we, I think, in the world right now are moving from a place of a lot of binaries mm-hmm. to a place of blending mm-hmm. and balance and, rec- you know, recognizing the masculinity and femininity in within all of us. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of don't mind a word like soft skills because I think soft skills are literally just as important as hard skills. And so should everybody. And what you want is a well-balanced, well-functioning company that requires both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, I, I just feel, I don't know if we can get past the fact that people look down on it. I, I don't know whether it will take more work to change how people interpret soft skills. I don't know. We're entering the age versus... of Aquarius. I think it's coming. <laughs> I'm hopeful. Great. Great. I am right there behind you, cheering you on. <laughs> it is interesting that, you know, we're seeing, even in the six years that Sammy has been in process-ish, you know, over that time, over all the conversations that we had, 
seeing the evolution of those conversations, starting from a place of why the hell are we talking about this to, you know, Project Aristotle coming out of Google and bigger corporations starting to get hip to these ideas and having these broader conversations, especially in the HR space, space about emotional intelligence. And it's in, I'm just like seeing these kind of parallels that this is kind of a wave that is going through the corporate world of this like blurring of hard and soft, these blurring of our spaces, right? Our physical spaces and our digital spaces. And now in the time of Corona, like how I show up at work being much more fluid than it ever was before along that kind of a national conversation that mm-hmm. we're having about gender fluidity. And a lot of the work that Jumana is doing with Pivot is about bringing in to some extent, like the heart back into tech, mm-hmm. right? And starting to think of it as a place that should, as a thing that should absolutely be run from a place of compassion and emotional intelligence and empathy. I just wanted to illuminate that because I'm kind of seeing these threads in my mind of like all these parallels that are happening in a similar vein, which makes me feel very hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, our, the conversations that we're having now and I think that are happening in corporate, you know, in the corporate world about emotional intelligence at work are light years from when it's they started. It's a really great to have been part of this conference, actually, because the perspective that you're getting, I mean, I am more optimistic than I have been. And you have to have optimism, A, to start a company, and B, to think you can change technology and how it's built. But the optimism I've gotten from this, from the voices I've heard across cultural, gender, political, like really diverse voices in the true sense of the word around the importance of kindness and thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and uh, respect in a way that, you know, uh, where, I mean, this is, this is all in the context of business, right? So it's not, nobody can say the IEEE or a bunch of hippie people, <laughs> like they just want to live on a commune, right. and, you know. I mean, some of them might, but. <laughs> might, but it, it's still, it's still sort of enterprise driven. There's a, there's a sense that like you're, everybody wants to make money. We are still operating in the context of capitalism. Mm-hmm. But in that context, it seems like so many voices are around how can we re-inject just aspects of humanity that have sort of taken a backstage, have taken sort of, have been hidden for a while, mm-hmm. like kindness, like mm-hmm. understanding, like empathy. Uh, we heard just last night, I mean, last night, my time, I don't know. <laughs> who knows last night, Yeah. Well, late night, really late for this kid, Ellis, who was in the UK way past his bedtime, I think. But he spoke in a way that was so compelling. He spoke and he said a lot of great things. And then he punctuated it with this question of, so tell me, what are you doing about what's happening to my life as a child growing up in this? I can't, I can't do much. I'm, you know, I'm a kid. I can talk. I can. He was responding to He's, one of the presentations, or he was a pre- pre- presenter. He was a presenter initially. Wow! But then he, yeah, he was a. a, a I mean, he was part of a panel, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how, how, like how how technology impacts his life, both in positive, you know, like in necessary ways and in unnecessary mm-hmm. ways, and how, quite frankly, he wishes it were the last thing he would think about because he would rather worry about climate change, mm-hmm. like. He's like, I don't even know. I don't know what the world's going to be like when I'm an adult, let alone whether I'm going to have children. So that should right. be the thing that we're trying to fix. Yeah. Like, 
instead of having conversations about people building tech without having thought about what they're building. Yeah, we don't have the privilege anymore. Like we're at a crisis point right yeah. now and we don't have the privilege anymore of being rugged individualists. We literally need other people to care about our well-being and for us to care about theirs in order to survive for a few more generations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to, it all goes back to my ceiling, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I love but it, it makes me think it's like in that context too, you know, we are all connected. The way that technology, you know, in this context, the way that technology is built has an acute and sometimes detrimental impact on the eventual users. You know, there isn't this hardline disconnection from the people who are building in Silicon Valley and, you know, this child's hands. Like, we are all connected. Similar to thinking about an organization as an organism. You know, mm-hmm. how I show up in my work absolutely impacts how everybody else can show up in theirs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think... Well, it's like Katina said on your... in When you were interviewing her for your podcast, mm-hmm. at one point she said... First of all, I think she said starts with, first of all, if you're entering my space, my world, my office, my sphere, first of all, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) After that, we can deal with other stuff. But first of all, how are you? Very on brand for Katina. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, saying that that's actually what we're trying to do is to say our tendency is like, oh, let's get to the point. And I think what she was reminding us all is the most important point is how are you? Because everything that comes after that depends on how you are. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. I've, I've been experiencing this um, in the kitchen at the restaurant, mm-hmm. watching how one, one employee in particular, if she gets kind of off her game and, you know, the, the impact is felt very obviously because we're, we're like, it's a tangible physical thing that we're working on. Mm-hmm. But if she gets thrown off her game, it impacts the whole whole rest of the crew. Mm-hmm. And then the next five or six orders that go out are wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Just because she's off her game, she's upset, you know, she's been in this, put into this like emotional state. And it's been interesting to observe that and to realize like, oh, we all now have a part to play in how we collectively respond to this, mm-hmm. right? This person has been impacted and it's impacting the rest of the team, but also the end product. Mm-hmm. And therefore we are all have some obligation and responsibility to yeah. say how I wonder if you should figure out a, a sort of zany like mechanism because yeah, I don't know if you're it. having those conversations you know that observing is a very different thing and understanding yeah. your responsibility is a different thing but what we're talking about is how well do, I remember you and I went to this meeting Shana in uh, at American Express when we were talking about zany and one of the questions we asked is like right. of this woman and her team and we're like how well do you all think we know each you know each other and the team members were like, oh, we are so in. We know everything about each other, blah, blah. And the woman who's the leader was like, it's interesting that you think that, that you think you know me hmm. because you don't. And it was and essentially like, you know who I want you to know. Exactly. And so it was like this, but it made it clear that it was a one-way street. Like right. They felt seen by her. Right. She did not feel seen by them right. in large part because she didn't show herself to them. Right. So how do you facilitate that? So what I'm thinking about in in the restaurant is, are you having conversations with each other about stuff that isn't the stuff that's happening? Right. Like, do you know each other in a way to be like? Yeah, we do. And that's been something I've been really trying to do is encourage that type of interaction. Be like, let's all go out to dinner. Like, let's all spend time together. We need to know who each other is. I want to amplify something you said 
because I think it's re really important and I think why a tool like Zany is really helpful as this great equalizer, because this is something, you know, we discovered immediately following Pro Project Aristotle. I had met with one of the managers within Google after Project Aristotle, and just to kind of find out how the research coming out of that was impacting kind of internal training. Yeah. And she talked about it as essentially, you know, in a lovely way, but like another thing she had to worry about, right. you know, being the leader of a team, she has all of these things that she's concerned about in terms of like keeping her team encouraged and inspired and motivated. Mm -hmm. and, and on top of all that, she has to figure out how to be vulnerable with these people. Right. And to somehow facilitate them being vulnerable and sharing with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so helpful about a tool like Zany is, you know, it starts to dissolve that, again, these binaries that exist right. in our Well, it takes structure. over the blank page, right? So yeah. it's uh, the way Zany works is, and I think, Lisa, you alluded to this earlier, it's a, it prompts you with questions, mm -hmm. right? Like, so there are, it's a conversation engine. The point is to say, ask simple questions that get people talking about stuff in a way that allows them to discover things about themselves and each other. That they would right. Realize. And the thing that, that I think takes it, uh, the onus off of, you know, an administrator or an, or, you know, an HR person is that there is a, there is a structure built into it. There's a regularity. It is, it is, um, self, you know, it runs itself once it is installed. And so, you know, without having to think about it, like, you know, there is going to be, sort of a fireside chat time that shows up for you if you choose to participate in it once a week at the same time every week. And so, yes, it's still about being vulnerable. You might be answering questions about your family or your childhood or vacation destinations, but it is within this safe and regulated context. Yeah. Sacred almost. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's, it's safe and it's designed to go gradually. I think a lot of the things about Zany. And one of the things we realized early on that was difficult for a lot of people was it was it didn't operate at the speed of the Internet. I, so much of Zany is mm -hmm. antithetical to Internet culture, mm -hmm. period, because it is about it is, a, you know, you don't build trust at scale. You don't go from zero to 60 in right. trust in, right. in a go. You don't do that. It, has, it takes time. But go ahead. Are we going to talk about the social penetration theory? <laughs> <laughs> Please go. <laughs> So yes, this this idea of a gra a gradual scaling to get deeper social penetration theory posits that we get to know each other and we build trust and intimacy gradually over time, and so it's like peeling back layers of an onion that each human being is is like an onion, and the the, the deeper you go, the richer the relationship is, the more that can blossom from it, and so Zany is built in this way that it begins at an outer layer, a safer layer. And over time, gradually allows users to access deeper parts of themselves, but in a way that doesn't doesn't throw you off because you're already sort of stepping in the water. It's like right. going into the water one step at a time. Yeah. And I mean, it, sorry, go ahead. No, it feels more scientific than I think. Like, it feels like a truth, just a fundamental truth. Mm -hmm. And we think about the good relationships in our life, the good, healthy relationships in our life. That's how relationships are built, right? Like. You meet somebody and slowly over time, you feel more comfortable with them. You reveal more about yourself. They feel more comfortable revealing more about themselves. And that's how you start to build trust. Mm -hmm. I, and I just wanted to like, you know, clarify that because it, it can feel very like heady science, but it's like, yeah, all, all relationships work this way. Right. right. I mean, that's a, that I think that there, a lot of what zany is, is, we, well, we brought a lot of 
of real life in Tanzania. Yeah. Like our models were how do people function, not how do people online function. Right. How, what are what do good relationships look like? And, what, and specifically, like, what are the dynamics of a good dinner party? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of folks sitting around the table, maybe some that know each other, some don't. What creates or contributes to the magic that is felt when you get in that good conversation, that good shared conversation around the dinner table? Yeah. And some of those things, again, are like, you know, Zany's not built for scale. Zany's built to accommodate small groups of people because we think that trust, not we think, we know that, you know, you can't trust 150 people at once. Mm -hmm. If you're going to work with some people, that team has to be small enough that they know each other. Each. What's the thing? They should be your team should be small enough to share a pizza. Split two pizzas. That's Jeff Bezos. So oh, you know, not, God. But, <laughs> but there are tons of other like there are like, anecdotal and serious things. You know, the optimal number for a team when you're talking about trust is between seven and nine. So notice that it's odd. They can't split mm-hmm. evenly down the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as an improv, improv well, teams are seven probably, seven people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Zany focuses on seven people because online you have an added thing where we're thinking like, do you go nine or do you go seven? But online, if you have nine, it's still a thread, right? It's not, it's not like you're seeing people. You don't have the context of visual. You don't know who's moving in right. to talk or whatever. So having it smaller is more important. And that's one of the things that people have resistance to. Like I want it across a big group, but that kind of defeats the purpose because it just becomes a shouting match. Right. right. And the idea is that every person like especially with attention to people who are introverts or who wouldn't normally right. step yeah. out there needs to be enough breathing room there enough space that even they get their time to be seen and heard absolutely yeah. and the other the other thing that is not designed to match the or isn't you know isn't how the internet was created or a lot of the social platforms were created is this idea of reciprocity because if you're talking about trust it, it's a two-way street right. right you know so it's it's literally about you know, so that woman at Marrying Express, they all might trust her, but she, would she trust them? Right. Uh, not their fault. Mm-hmm. It's just their exchange hasn't gone the two ways. Mm-hmm. So we have a very strong policy of like, hey, if you're not going to, you know, like, everyone sees you were talking about social penetration theory and the onion. So everyone sees the outer layer of the onion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once you're sort of peeling layers, if I'm going to share and be vulnerable, it's only fair that you be vulnerable too. Mm-hmm. So if you're, uh, in a small group, if you don't feel comfortable answering a question, that's fine. But that also means you don't get to see everyone else's answers. Right. Because it just feels like the point is to move the group together mm-hmm. along on a journey from, well, towards trust from wherever you are. And, you know, Shana, you brought up the phrase, the great equalizer, which, and, 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 and Jamana, you were saying that Zany is actually sort of antithetical to tech environments and, I think it is, and that's kind of why I like it. It pushes against the idea of, you know, it's also antithetical to corporate structure, which is like a pyramid with, you know, the few at the top and then more and more and more toward the bottom. But if it requires reciprocity, you know, you see everybody in the tribe around the same campfire. Nobody's like sitting on a throne while somebody else is on the ground. Everybody is around there. And I I don't know, I just wanted to mention that I think that's... A, you were saying earlier, and yeah. I really liked... I made a mental note about it feeling like a fireside chat. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there is that. Even, even with the idea of the warmth of the fire. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the relaxation around the fire. Like mm-hmm. the, and what I like about that image, too, is a fire kind of encourages, to, encourages us to come in closer. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, a fire is... Right. Mm-hmm. 
And you have to, and I like that as a metaphor for zany in that it brings people, you know, closer together, but also like emotionally closer mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. right? We're, and it's from those points of, you know, bumping up against each other that really the, the good friction starts to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, that friction, I think, naturally happens uh, when you are in person with people right. because you're sharing the same space, because, you know, you accidentally spill your coffee on them in the kitchen or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But, you know, without having those tactile in-person moments, you know, how are you manufacturing that same kind of safety? This reminds me, I was doing, so I was, I'm part of this uh, creativity group and it, it began. It be- Sorry, I just distracted Lisa by trying to make sure that <laughs> making we were sure we're on time. time. <laughs> it's good. This is this is real. This is real theater. Okay, it's happening in real time. <laughs> we did a, a, a guided meditation that began with uh, a focus on thinking about safety. What does safety mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, if you go inward. And I realized as I was like participating in this that the first thing, the first word that came up was warmth. What makes mm-hmm. me feel safe? Warmth. I wonder, I wonder if either of you has thoughts about that. Like what safety means to you? Now I, now I'm, now I can't think of anything but warm. Like, <laughs> like fire, warming my hands, socks, warming my, like, I yes, warmth like, is a good one. Comfort. Yeah. Um, so a big one for me is like being in a physically comfortable position. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes back to trust, vulnerability. You know, if I feel you know, obviously physically comfortable, but if I feel, you know, emotionally comfortable with you, that makes me feel safe Mm -hmm. that I could cry, rage, laugh, sing, you Mm -hmm. know, and that everything would be held. Mm -hmm. Comfort. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, all of those work. I think it's evolved for me. I think that I, it might've been originally to, to sort of think about, you know, a long time ago, I would have said to be invisible was to be safe. Oh, that's interesting. And I think today, for me, huge part. And gra- Sorry, this is this is our this is our uh, our mascot, Bernie the dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because of my nephews and nieces, and uh, sort of younger generations, including the two of you, it's about safety. Feels like stepping into a stepping into something that makes them feel safe. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it went Appreciate from, it. It went, it went from being invisible to, to absolutely being visible, like to yeah. being overtly visible. Yeah. So it's like a, it's interesting. Well, you're a space holder. You hold space for other people. And it's interesting. I don't know if this is where you were getting at, but I'm seeing this correlation, you know, like safety begets safety kind of thing. Like, when you're committed to holding a safe space, you feel safe because you're holding safe space for others kind of thing. Maybe, maybe. I just know that like, what, the whole time I was growing up, I just wanted to blend into the wall. Mm-hmm. I wanted to disappear into the carpet, into whatever was around. I was mm-hmm. like, I wanted to be a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Not because I wanted to sneak around, just mm-hmm. because I just wanted to not be noticed. I mean, and maybe that's saying that part of safety is learning over the course of time where you most shine, what role yeah. you are not only good at, but like really feels good for you to fill. And that's really important. I think you're absolutely right. Cause that to me is, it was like, I don't want any attention that I don't think is earned or deserved. Sure. And I think that makes, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I mean, it's almost like with Zany as a, as an example, but like in any sort of group environment, if you are, trying to be invisible or holding back, 
you're not only doing a disservice to yourself, but you're doing a disservice to the entire group because the group needs you in that role in which you shine. Right. It's so funny. It's kind of not, not fair, but, um, a friend of mine, you interviewed Jess, actually Mm -hmm. a brilliant writer. And I cannot wait to see her things of America Netflix series, but, uh, you know, one of the things I said to her one day, we were doing a project together and we were like arguing about something. And I said to her, there are two things um, I hate. And um, one is being overestimated and the other is being underestimated. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, it's like, I just want to be seen for what I am. Yes. You know, that feels safe to me. Yeah. It's interesting. I, after saying comfort, that's the next thing that came to mind is seen. When I am fully seen, Mm -hmm. I feel safe. Awesome. Well, I think we have, what, like 10 minutes left, and I want to make sure that we have a moment to talk about, to to get a little bit granular and talk about, you know, personal instances of feeling, uh, of empathy being shown to us or us showing empathy to others in a working environment. And Shana, you touched on it a little bit with the restaurant. So, okay, so what's betwixt this is the podcast that has been referred to during the course of this hour in which I talk to people across a variety of industries about where empathy does and does not show up for them in their work life and what their personal philosophies are about empathy. And I think that the personal, like the personal level is like the juiciest is the most important to look at in order to expand and make it um, and make empathy more accessible and available to all. And so in the, in the interest of that, I will begin by saying Uh, when I worked at this restaurant in Midtown for many years, I was definitely a person. I was not a restaurant person. I definitely came from a desk job background. I didn't think on my feet this way. It was terrifying. It was improvising. And I I can't even imagine. I know I've truly complete transformation, but Mm -hmm. I used to, I used to live my whole life inside the tiny box of my head and really working in restaurants cracked me out of that. But I remember I would have just like one or two tables and would be so overwhelmed and flustered. And of course, you know, when the holidays came, there were all these insane parties with like so much money and such high stakes. And I would just like, I couldn't possibly move any faster. And I ended up, you know, hyperventilating in the dish pit and my manager, (laughs) oh, I cried almost every day at that job. (laughs) My manager, Kiwi, who was just, is just a brilliant person said to me, you know, it's, I know it's just food and booze, but it's hard. Like doing this job is actually hard. And I, of course, broke down crying because I felt so seen in that moment Mm -hmm. that I hadn't really allowed myself to admit that this job that I had been judging as being not, quote unquote, not as important or valuable as a desk job was really difficult. And to be seen in that completely changed my perspective of the work. And, and made me better at my job because that made me more confident in knowing, oh, well, this is actually important what I'm doing. It probably made you better at all jobs. It made yeah. you better at life, Yeah, honestly, because it's like, you know, on the one hand, there's this subtle but so important lesson of everything is important mm-hmm. to somebody in some way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, keep that in mind. And on the other hand, it's like you're need to be seen prepared you to see everybody because that's one thing i I know about you is that you're interestingly not just sort of good at it but it seems charged by it you know energized by Mm. seeing other people totally totally thank you 
and I know that you see me. Sometimes you see me so much that it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, <laughs> I can't escape the microscope. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. But it's good. It's yeah. good. It's good for me because I think it's usually I'm the most hypervigilant person in the room. So then when somebody even more hypervigilant shows up, I'm like, oh, I better be on my A game every second <laughs> right now. But uh, I wonder if you, not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot, if you have a moment that you can remember from any job you've held in your life where empathy showed up, whether it was shown to you or you showed it to someone that you were mentoring. I, you know, I mean, I've been really, really lucky when People ask me about, you know, historically about my uh, work and stuff. There's one person I always want to mention, and uh, that's Joan Dufresne. She just was like, she, I think a lot of who I am today as a person and as a worker um, and as a mentor, all of my versions have been influenced by her model. And she didn't, she did it effortlessly. She just Mm -hmm. modeled what it was like to be truly human and mm-hmm. this falls in empathy I think but she fiercely protected her people she was my boss mm-hmm. and to know that somebody has your back to the extent of like you're gonna be okay you're gonna mess up and that's totally fine mm-hmm. like go out there and be you and the rest is on me wow well it's really you've spectacular you've definitely stepped all the way into that role. And I really feel held in that same way. So I think that Joan would be very proud. Um, so I thank you. I, yeah. I, I, she was, she's a phenomenal human being. Well, I'm glad that you're passing it, paying it forward. And I know, you know, something that you say a lot that Shana also said when I first started working with Zany is uh, that it's an experiment that likes to experiment. In other mm-hmm. words, yes there is no wrong. It's just all part of the process of creating. And that is so freeing to me. It makes me feel so safe as an employee. Yeah. And one of our other uh, favorite expressions is we are all simultaneously a work of art and a work in progress. Mm -hmm. As long as you're in progress, you're a work of art. Shana. Yeah. Would you like to close us out? Yeah. It's (laughs) funny you bring that up because that's what I was going to say that the time I, I was, lucky enough to spend building this magical thing with my beautiful friend, her commitment to that idea and her commitment to modeling it, her commitment to holding space for our expression of it. But we really, truly believed in, and you really, truly let from a place of being a work of art and a work in progress. And that felt like profound empathy to me. And it still does. This conversation around safety, like it made me feel seen. It made me feel like my purpose was being used. Um, it made me feel warm. It made me feel comfortable and close. Yeah, I would say living, getting, getting to live and work within this belief that we are all simultaneously a work of art and a work in progress. Beautiful. Love it. I'm so happy to be here with these powerful women. Woo-hoo! I'm so happy to speak with you. <laughs> if you are listening Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Katina and Roba and everybody who helped build this amazing, incredible, unfathomably huge conference. And if you want to check out more about Zany, it's Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. And if you'd like to listen to What's Betwixt Us, the podcast about empathy at work, it is available across the platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, you name it. Lissa is a master conversationalist and she's a conversation engineer at Zany, but... She runs that podcast, like, 
just listen. <laughs> just listen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this has been such a delight. I hope everybody is is having a curiosity worthy week. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to episode 20 of What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. To sponge up some of the amazing research and ideas going on all year through IEEE for advancing technology for humanity, check out IEEE.org. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at zanie.app. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.